0: The Mind Aware Show 8. Hi there, brain trainers. This is Dana Wild, and welcome to The Mind Aware Show, where you connect with today's thought leaders about mindset, wealth, and more. Start your day with The Mind Aware, and now you're ready to accomplish anything. Hi, this is Dana Wilde with The Mind Aware Show, and welcome I'm just so excited to talk with you today. You know, let me ask you a question. Are you thinking right now, if my business takes off, then I'm really going to be happy? And I'm going to work hard now, and then I'm going to be happy later. Or maybe it's that, oh, after I lose 10 pounds, then I'm going to be really happy. Or if I made more money, I mean, is there something that you think, gosh, if I just had that thing, then I would be happy? Well, if that's you, you are going to love today's show, because today I am talking to Sean Acor, and perhaps you're one of the 10 million people who've already heard of him because you've seen his TED Talk, you know, or perhaps you've read his book, The Happiness Advantage, or his new book, Before Happiness. Well, I'm going to tell you something. We are going to talk about some really interesting things about what's going on in his life, how to find more happiness in your life, and why. Happiness comes before success and not the other way around. So let's jump right in. Hi, Sean.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Well, it's great to have you here. And I just, I love your books. I love all the work you're out there doing. So I'm really excited to jump in. So why is it that, that we're told that success comes before happiness? And tell me a little bit more about why you think that's not true.
1: Well, I, I, I do think we're, we're taught as a society we've been taught in school um advertising makes us think this way but the thought process is you know as soon as i reach some sort of target or goal or i have some sort of possession then of course i'm going to feel happier you know i'm gonna since i can get good grades and i'll feel happier get into the right school or get a promotion or get out of debt or lose 15 pounds so part of what we've been doing is we've been trying to encourage ourselves if i just want this enough and think i'll be really happy in the future then i'll push really hard towards that success um, I've been working in a field called positive psychology that decided to scientifically test if that was actually the case. And what we were, what we found and we were shocked by how marked the results were was that that formula just never worked. And it never worked because every time somebody had a success, every time they actually hit one of those goals, your brain would actually change the goalpost of what success looked like. So you got good grades. Well, now you have to get into a better school. You get into a good school. I spent I spent 12 years uh, working at Harvard University, and i see these students that are incredibly successful that got into a school that they wanted to go to that you think would be happier, and 80% of them went through depression at some time during their four years there, and 10% contemplate suicide. So that formula wasn't working, and then they get into the workplace and they get that promotion, but then they're thinking about the next promotion or the next raise or the next job. And the problem was that every time your brain had a success, your brain changed the goalposts of what success looked like. But amazingly, we found if you flipped it around, the formula actually worked. If you could find some way of deepening your happiness in the present, it turns out we could watch every single success rate, every business and educational outcome we know how to test for rise dramatically just by getting your brain to start at positive.
0: Well, I think actually that's one of the most exciting things I like about your books is that you do a lot of studies and research yourself, and you rely on other people's work, and I I think that's the fun part is being able to see that this isn't just a bunch of woo-woo. This is really for real, and so let me see if I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is we we go out, we achieve, we get something, we're happy for about 10 minutes because we achieved our goal, but then we're immediately looking for the next thing, and so really it's uh, kind of that old adage of the joy in the journey or finding a way to live in that gap. Um, so what are some suggestions you have for how do we get happy when we are probably never going to have what we want because we always want more and more and more, right? So <laughs> how, how do we get happy now?
1: Well, it's a great question. So I think the other thing that society keeps teaching us is that um, either something, some possession or some future goal will make you happier. Um, and by the way, if that was true, then every single celebrity, every movie star, every person at one of these top schools, every person that has over a million dollars, all of them would be extraordinarily happy. And we can just see that that's empirically not true. Like anytime you turn on the news and you hear about what some of these celebrities are going through, or, you know, I've worked with, um, you know, billionaire bankers all the way down to unemployed farmers in Zimbabwe. And what we've been finding is that there's no connection between um, their, you know, their external world, there's very little connection between their external world and their long-term levels of happiness. What we found that did matter was that they had a belief that they could choose happiness. And that was actually the interesting part. Um, In this research, I think, you know, you're talking about these old adages that have been saying finding joy in the journey. Um, What we've been finding in this research is we keep we keep confirming what those old adages were. We keep finding that people have been right for thousands of years. We just haven't been following that advice. And what we found is if you don't have joy in the journey, you slow down the entire process and you never get that joy. The other thing we've been finding is that you can actually choose happiness, um, and you can choose it by cultivating certain practices in your life. So what we've been looking for, what are the smallest habits somebody can make within their life, the smallest intervention or addition to their day, that if they did that, it could actually cause them to be happier. And one of the things I want to highlight is how much we're actually pushing against. Um, If you talk... If anyone who's listening to this talks to somebody in their life who is unhappy, that person is going to say, I'm unhappy because of some external event, or I'm unhappy because these are my genes, or these are my neurochemicals. And what we've been finding is all of those things have an impact upon your happiness, but we can trump all three of those, um, which is extraordinary. We found that if for tw- 21 days in a row, just 21 days in a row, you give us 45 seconds and during those 45 seconds each day, you can even do this while you're brushing your teeth, we've researched people just scanning the world for three new things that they're grateful for that have occurred over the past 24 hours. So three new things each day that they're grateful for in the present. And they do this for 21 days. So at the end of it, they have 63 things they're grateful for, which, which is a very robust list, but not the reason we do it. The reason we do it is you're literally training the brain to scan the world in a different way. Our brain will naturally scan the world for the threats and the hassles and the stresses first, unless we train our brain to do something opposite. When you practice doing these three gratitudes each day, it turns out your brain gets stuck in that new pattern, it gets better at looking for the things you're grateful for, and we can take people that are low-level genetic pessimists who are default pessimists, like that's their genetic default in the world, and within a 21-day period of time, we can raise their levels of optimism above their genetic set point, and you can do this with 84-year-old men with potentially genes of pessimism who have been practicing pessimism their whole life. Maybe you know people that are like that, that they've been practicing pessimism their whole life and you get them to do this small little habit and what happens is within 21 days, we can get them to go from low-level pessimists to low-level optimists. Day 28 to 30, we can actually watch the neural pathways in their brains change. And six months later, not only are they happier, but we actually see a dramatic increase in their business outcomes or their educational outcomes or both. And let me pause real quickly to say why I think this is just phenomenal. The reason I think that there's a revolution in this research is because what we're not saying is gratitude's good for you. Everyone who's listening already knows that. The reason why this is incredible research is I would have never believed until doing it that literally a two-minute or a 45-second intervention in somebody's day could trump not only their genes – but eight decades of experience, and that's exactly what we're finding. So we found two minutes of journaling each day about a positive experience, remembering all those positive details about one positive experience literally gets the brain to double that experience because you can't tell the difference between visualization and actual experience. Uh, Fifteen minutes of fun, mindful cardio activity, just a half workout every day is the equivalent of taking an antidepressant. We found that two minutes a day of just watching your breath go in and out, doing meditation or attention training over the course of the day, that two-minute habit of just watching your breath go in and out, we've been doing this out of Google. We found it actually raises your accuracy, accuracy rates by 10% and dramatically improves your level of happiness and drops, drops your stress. And then the final one, which is the most powerful of the five, is and we've been doing this out at Facebook and at Nationwide Insurance, we've had them for 21 days in a row. Think of one new person each day to write a two minute email or text message to. So a two minute text message or email praising or thanking one person you know. And if you do that for 21 days in a row, pick a different person each day. Um, I wrote to a high school English teacher a couple years ago and I said, uh, you're the reason I fell in love with reading. You're the reason I wrote a book. Thank you for changing my life. It took me longer to find that woman's email address than actually to write it. But if you do this for 21 days in a row, your social connection the breadth, depth, and meaning in your social relationships. When we test your social connection, your score is off the chart. And you get great emails back because people write, they don't know about this two minute rule. So they keep writing about how great they think you are. But at the end of it, uh, at the end of the 21 days, you've deepened your social connection, which is not only the greatest predictor of long term happiness we found, but we just, this is amazing. We just found this out. Social connection is as predictive of how long somebody will live as obesity high blood pressure, or smoking. We fight so hard against the negative, and like you're saying, we sometimes forget to tell people how powerful two minutes of positive can be. We can literally help you to choose happiness, and as a result of that, reap that incredible happiness advantage in your life.
0: Wow. I mean, this is really such an exciting time to be alive. It's just uh, so cool, everything you're saying. This is Dana Wild with the Mind Aware Show. You're listening to Sean Aker talk about happiness and the happiness advantage. You can learn more about Sean at the com. You know, what's so exciting about this, I'll tell you a little personal story. I had... My niece interviewed me for a class one time, and it was one of these where you have to study like you're one of the people in your life you like, and she asked me a bunch of questions about my life, and then the very last question she said was, how come you're happy all the time? How do you stay happy all the time? And I kind of chuckled when she asked it, and I said, practice. <laughs> how do you stay happy all the time? And what you're saying is so true. You've given so many different examples of ways you know 45 seconds every morning put a post-it note on your toothpaste everybody do it while you're brushing your teeth think of three new things you're grateful for make sure and reach out and write thank you notes and and show appreciation for the people you love and build those social networks these are such easy steps but it's really just creating the habit and then you create those super highway pathways in your brain and if i understand right i've heard you say just so many interesting things one of them is that 90 percent of your long-term happiness is actually comes from how your brain processes information like it's not a big mystery on why people are happy it's uh it's a belief that they could be happy and then putting it into practice and so have i got that right is that really what to the, you're trying to say with this in a nutshell
1: yeah it's incredible but that's exactly what we found uh, only 10% of our long-term happiness is predicted based upon the external world. 90% of our long-term happiness is still based upon the external world, but it's how your brain processes that world. It's how you think about your work, how you think about your income, how you think about your family members. And if we can get you to change your brain to be more optimistic, to have deeper social connection, and this is an important one that we've just added in based upon some new research, that you see the world not as a threat, but actually as a challenge. We, um, I just did a, uh, a large study at the large Swiss bank, uh, UBS in the middle of the banking crisis with, um, Ali Crumb from Stanford University and, and Peter Salovey, who's now the president of Yale. And what we found was that people, the way that people, everyone from entrepreneurs to bankers to, um, uh, to lawyers that they were, the way that they viewed stress was actually making them, um, Not only sicker, but but less successful as well. What we just found was that if you think about stresses in your life as a threat, like if you think stress is bad for you, and you spend your time fighting or fleeing from stress, it turns out that your brain has 23% higher negative effects of that stress. But with a group that we worked with in the middle of a banking crisis, where they didn't know if they were going to have their jobs, they weren't getting paid... We told them that embedded within every stress is meaning, right? If I tell you your inbox right now is full of spam, you don't feel any stress. But if I tell you it's full of these leads or people you really want to get back to, suddenly you feel higher levels of stress with that larger inbox. So what we did was we got people to reconnect to the meaning that was there and to see those stresses in their lives not as threats to their happiness but as challenges that allow their potential to come out. And what we found was not only a 23% drop in the negative effects, even with the same level of stress. But what it showed us is while stress is inevitable, its effects upon us are not. And if we could find some way of becoming more positive, if we can see those challenges we experienced within our life, maybe it is debt or maybe it's trying to find that job or maybe it's trying to get that, that company up off the ground or be able to be more successful. In each one of those moments, what we found is if you stop viewing the world as a threat and start viewing all these things as challenges, not only do our happiness levels rise, but every single Business outcome improves. We found that your productivity rises by thirty-one percent when the brain is happier. Your your sales rise by thirty-seven percent, which is crazy. Um, and we found you're forty percent more likely to receive a promotion over the next two year period of time.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I love that sentence. Did you hear that, everybody? Reconnect to the meaning in your life. I mean, doesn't that sound just so awesome? Wouldn't you just love to reconnect at a deeper level to the meaning in your life? This is Dana Wild. You're listening to the Mind Aware Show. I'm talking to Sean Aker, the author of The Happiness Advantage, and you can find him at thehappinessadvantage.com. We're going to come back and ask Sean another question, and you know what? It's going to be about when he was actually depressed. Do you believe the happy guy was depressed, and how did he get out of it? I know you're going to enjoy this. Stay tuned. We'll be back in a second.
1: Have you checked out The Mind Aware on Facebook at Facebook.com slash The Mind Discover daily mantras, inspiration, the latest brain information, and exclusive training on mindset, wealth, health, and more. That's Facebook.com slash The Mind Aware. Let's connect and kick your life up a notch.
0: Hi, this is Dana Wild. Welcome back to The Mind Aware Show. We are talking to Sean Acor, the author of The Happiness Advantage. And I have to tell you, I was pretty shocked when I learned that he actually went through a time when he was feeling depression. You know, we get this idea that, you know, people are just born happy or they're, you know, a natural optimist and all of this type of thing. So how did the happy guy <laughs> start out with a depression to find the solution? So I'm really excited to hear this story, Sean. Tell me more.
1: So, um, well, it came about in in an interesting way. Uh, So um, I'm I'm out speaking all the time out at at companies or doing research um, or working with schools on happiness, and so many people think, well, of course, he's a happiness researcher. Of course, he's always been happy. He's even married to a happiness researcher. (laughs) So, of course, he has to be happy. But uh, my wife, uh, Michelle Guillen, she – last year, we we had our son, uh, who's now one years old, and – uh, she said, Sean, you're not traveling anywhere in February unless Oprah calls. <laughs> and uh so I didn't travel anywhere except then Oprah called, and I got to go out to her house four days after Leo was born. And I sat in her backyard, and she did a two-hour – well, it was supposed to be a one-hour interview with me on the science of happiness and basically how happiness is an advantage, that when people are happier, all these business outcomes improve. And as they were shutting down the lights, I turned to her and I said um, – it's so easy for somebody to watch this to think, well, of course, Sean's happy. He's a happiness researcher. Of course, Oprah's happy, you know, with all of her wealth and her friends and the celebrity. And she said, well, I went through, I went through the depths of depression when, at the height of my career, when I was making the most money, when the movie *Beloved* I had produced didn't do as well as I wanted it to. And I told her I went through depression while I was at Harvard University. I spent 12 years there, and actually, it's part of what got me into positive psychology in the first place. She turned back on the cameras, and we did a whole extra hour about how you can create happiness, even in those times when it's darkest. And I know that there's some people listening that are, that have friends or family members that are going through depression. And part of what I wanted to say was, so I went through two years of depression. Depression's different for everyone. For me, it was like I wandered out into this bog and couldn't figure out how I got there. But basically, my whole life stopped for a while. Um, and... I tell people that unhappiness, that the opposite of happiness is not unhappiness, um, because sometimes unhappiness can make us make changes in our life if we need to. The opposite of happiness, to me, is apathy, um, because the way I define happiness is, is the joy we feel growing towards our potential. Depression does the opposite. It 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 robs us of that joy that we feel moving towards our potential, and we stagnate. So. Right as this was happening, I was being exposed to this new field at Harvard called positive psychology, which was attempting to study, are there ways we could actually be happier or are you just your genes and your environment? And I started putting some of these things we've been talking about already today, uh, these habits, doing the three gratitudes each day, journaling about a positive experience, exercising, creating social connection, um, just little tiny pockets each day to do these positive habits. And what I saw in my own life is I was able to walk myself back out of that depression, helping myself to believe that my behavior matters again. And I left that with two things that I think are important today is one, that depression is not the end of the story, that one of the lies that depression tells you is that it's permanent. But what we've been finding is if you make the effort, if you learn about what actually causes long-term happiness and practice it, what we found is you can get yourself back out of it. And the second part of it is that Um, It it provides so much compassion for people who are actually experiencing this, and we know it's not something you could just think your way out of. You have to combine both thought and action to get out of it, and that's why this research we're talking about today is so important.
0: This is really such an interesting topic, and I really, you made so many good points that I'd love to recap. You talk a little bit about if you make the effort that it's thought plus action. And that the opposite of happiness is apathy. And I think a lot of people out there who are going through this can identify with it. Can you give me a little bit more, elaborate a little bit on what do you mean by the combination of thought and action?
1: Absolutely. So um, if you think about uh, so many people try dieting, um, and it it doesn't seem to uh, work for some people. And, you know, I talked to this woman after one of my talks, and she said, you know, I've done 26 diets this year. None of them have worked. Um, and part of my thought was, if you tried 26, you might not have tried any of them fully in the first place. But the but the the corollary to that was that that oftentimes we think if I can just change my mindset, if I can just be like I wish the world was better, and I've, I'm choosing to be happy, and that's the end of the story. If you try and do that, but you haven't changed any of your habits or your actions in your life, you lose that mindset very quickly. You go right back to your default. And if you try and just change your actions but without changing any of your thoughts. Like you try to diet, but you haven't changed the way you've thought about food or care about being healthy or why you're trying to be healthier in the first place. Then it turns out those habits we don't keep, and a week later we go right back to where we are. Yeah. the research, what we've been looking for is what's the best combination for getting somebody to change. And what we found is they had to combine both. They had to combine both a mindset change and a habit change at the same time. So what we do with happiness in this research is we get people to first believe that happiness is a choice, And then happiness is an advantage to them. They will actually be, I mean, the conclusion of all this research that we've been doing out these companies, literally is every single business outcome improves when the human brain is positive. So the greatest competitive advantage in the modern economy is a positive and engaged brain. If you can convince yourself of that, that choosing happiness in the present has value, and then you add in a two-minute positive habit each day helping you keep that mindset. And that two-minute habit could be that positive email to a new person each day, praising them or thanking them, maybe it's doing two minutes of poetry a day or uh, going for a walk with your dog briskly for 15 minutes as long as it's cardio, the equivalent of taking an antidepressant. So whatever it is, if, you, if you're getting people to combine those positive habits with a positive mindset, that's how we get long-term change to actually occur.
0: I love that. I know Mind Aware listeners are really liking that, too, because we, we couldn't agree with you more. We're all about that here. This is Dana Wild. You're listening to the Mind Aware Show. I'm talking to Sean Aker. He is the author of The Happiness Advantage. Make sure and head over to the thehappinessadvantage.com. And I'm telling you, and I know all of you brain trainers out there are eating this up, and if you have not read his book yet, The Happiness Advantage, you absolutely just must go out and get it because it's just packed with everything, all the research, all the tips, all the ideas for really putting this into into action and making this happen, getting that combination. One of the things I really like about your work, Tushan, is that we're definitely kindred spirits on this, is that I I think in the past a lot of the positive thinking movement was very well-meaning, but maybe there wasn't enough emphasis about just living in the real world with these real emotions, like you were talking about earlier with depression and just everyday annoyances or frustrations and how can we be real people and recognize and be aware that we're going to have these things but have a make a decision and make a choice to be happy have an awareness that we don't want to stay stuck there one of the phrases that you keep coming back to and talking about is about uh, leveraging the power of your mind using the advantage of happiness hence the title of your book can you talk a little bit more about that about how Getting happier is actually pretty practical. If you can get happier, things go easier for you, and you have that that lever fulcrum going for you. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as as you talk to each person and try and get them to create positive changes in your life, but so so many of your your listeners have, are, are are focused on creating those positive changes for other people around them, is that? I've been really trying to meet people where they're at. So when I was working with the Harvard student population, they they actually were fine sacrificing happiness. They wanted to improve their grades. They wanted to be smarter so that they could later in their life have a better career, make more money, and then that would make them happier. So if I came in just talking straight about happiness, they wouldn't care as much about it. What I had to go in then, go in and do was actually show them the research that we found that when the human brain is positive. We actually see your creativity levels triple. We see your intelligence and memory improve on task, cognitive tasks. We see grades improve, and your likelihood of getting a higher offer after college rises dramatically. Suddenly, once they saw that research, and I think it was the scientific uh, addition to it that was so helpful, is that it got past so many of their mental barriers. They went right to what they were currently caring about and got them to care about the thing which was actually most important. Which was seeing that having a positive mindset and having positive behaviors could actually improve their life. And so it got them to focus on the right thing. The same thing's true out of these companies we've been working with. You know, when we go out and work with companies, one of the things we found at, uh, I was just working out at Nationwide Insurance and there was a um, guy there who said he was a numbers guy and he thought happiness, happiness was fluff. He was like, if I saw somebody smiling at work, I know, I know they're not working hard enough. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. So if this guy is a numbers person, we've got the numbers for him. And we showed him how we could quantify how much you can change somebody's life and what impact it has upon their sales. Pre- across industry, if we can take somebody from neutral to positive that's in sales, we see the sales rise by 37%. Um, so he allowed us to to bring this research into his firm. Um, it was basically into his entire company, a wholly owned subsidiary there at Nationwide Insurance. And they went from 350 million dollars um, two years ago to 950 million dollars last year, and they're eclipsing a billion dollars this year. And I mentioned that not because of the the revenue part of it, but because it was the fact that we had research that could prove that we could help with what they were currently dealing with, which is they needed to show higher levels of productivity and profitability. But it got them to then focus on the things that were really so important, which was the happiness of their employees. The meaning behind their work and then what services they're providing to the world. So I think that the, you know, I'm, I'm humbled by it, very much by the fact that I, I went into, I got into this research from the divinity school. So I was studying Christian ethics and comparing them to Buddhist ethics at Harvard divinity school. And what I'm realizing now in positive psychology is that we're just validating all of these things we've heard from every major religious tradition, every ancient philosopher and leadership guru up to the present. We're just confirming these things we've heard for thousands of years, but the fact that we actually have some of this scientific research and this data sometimes helps give just an an extra language to people to help them to make those choices or to justify spending a few minutes more a day focused on happiness. And when they do that, they actually reap an amazing advantage.
0: It's so true. It is. It's such an exciting time to live, and especially with all the different brain scans we're able to do and all the studies that you've been involved in and that are going on around the world, it's just amazing. I have so much more I want to ask you, but unfortunately we are rolling to the end here. You've all been listening to the Mind Aware Show. I'm your host, Dana Wild. This has been a really exciting time, and we will have it available for you to listen to forever in the cyber world out there on the worldwide interwebs (laughs) you'll be able to hear this interview again because there was a lot of really good stuff you know sean talks fast and i couldn't even take notes fast enough i'm going to have to listen to this interview a few times to get everything that he said all those great tips also remember you can go over to the happiness com, and he's got videos there all sorts of resources You can continue to study and definitely pop out and get his books because it's just good stuff. And I I know this is right up your alley. If you're you're listening to the Mind Aware show, you know this is the stuff you've been looking for. You know, maybe as a parting shot, do you have any kind of last-minute advice you'd want to give our listeners? If they were going to do one thing today to make a shift in their brain so that those pathways would open up and reticular activating system would kick in and start matching up good stuff in the world for them, what would you suggest?
1: By far, the most powerful two minutes you can do that we've seen so far is to do something kind for somebody else. And if you don't have a lot of time today, you can do a two-minute positive text message or email right now. You just, on your smartphone or on your computer, you write a two-minute email or text message praising or thanking somebody for one thing. And what you'll find is you're going to spend the rest of today and tomorrow thinking about what amazing person you were for writing that email.
0: (laughs) Not only will it bring a (laughs) smile to
1: your face, but it turns out you immediately dump dopamine into your system, raising your level of happiness. You can keep getting that shot over and over, over the course of the day. And not only did you cause that other person to become more positive, but you're going to find yourself actually praising and thanking more people in your life and creating those deeper connections. And all of this just shows these three conclusions from positive psychology, which is that happiness is a choice, Happiness is an advantage, and happiness spreads. So I think that's I, a powerful one.
0: I couldn't agree more. It's so good. And, you know, you made a little joke there in here. You're, you're funny, by the way. That's part of the reason I think of your mass appeal is that I could just sit and chuckle at you all day long. You have to watch the TED Talk, everybody. If you haven't seen it, you will just be rolling on the floor because he's hilarious. But what's great is, and I know everybody can identify with this, you think about it right now. When you are happy, you are bringing a better you into the world. Of course you've got leverage. Of course you're taking it, getting more positive flow. Of course things are happening easier for you because you're a different person when you're happy. Doesn't it make sense that you want the happiness advantage? So thank you so much, Sean Aker, for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This was just so much fun, and I'm sure we'll just have to beg him to come back because I'm sure you're going to flood the Facebook page with questions now that we should have asked or more stuff that you want to know. And so do send them over because we'll ask him to come back and we'll spend some more time with him because he's a delight and just a wealth of information. Thank you so much for being here, Sean.
1: Thank you, Dana. Thank you so much for letting me come on and thank you to everyone for listening.
0: And thanks, everybody, for listening. I will see you next time on The Mind Air Show.